Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Aloha Yoga Revealed Podcast. This is Alec Bashal Rubin, and I am excited to welcome you back to yet another invigorating episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast. If you have not heard, Yoga Revealed has released its very first offering, the Seven Day Yoga Reset, which is a pay what you can and pay what you want offering that funnels into the 100 Days of Yoga, which is currently on pre order through the back office and course download in the Seven Day Yoga Reset. You can check it out at yogarevealed.com. Today, I am so excited to introduce to you somebody that was a part of my very first yoga teacher training over 10 years ago. Dave is a Boulder Therapeutics Massage Therapist, anatomy genius, and he has been teaching anatomy within yoga teacher training programs for many, many years. We dive deep into the journey of yoga teachers learning how to not only protect their students, but also students learning to further take care of themselves and what is appropriate for an individual and what is not. Tune into this episode and share it with a fellow yoga teacher if you feel so called to do so. And thank you for following all of us on social media and sharing this episode to your stories and tagging us. Enjoy this episode of the Yoga Revealed Podcast. Namaste, Yoga Revealers. Welcome back to another episode of today's podcast, Yoga Revealed. I'm so grateful to be here. My name is Alec Michelle Rubin, and I'm here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, and I'm sitting across from an old friend who I actually met 10, 11 years ago in my first yoga teacher training. So some of you guys might know I've taken 10 different trainings over the last decade of my life, and that is just had me sit in the seat of Svadhyaya, self-study, the studentship. And Dave Abukair, mm-hmm. he was the anatomy teacher at my very first training. And a couple weeks ago, I was in the gym sharing my organic superfoods at a booth. And I saw this guy 
across the way. I was like, he is so familiar. And at the end of the night, I went up and we made the connection and we realized, wow. And we started to talk about yoga and his journey. And I was just like, wow, this is so insightful. And I'm excited to have you here on the podcast today to share your journey as the worker that you are in health and wellness and anatomy and the incredible insight that you have on the body from the lens of yogi, right? right? So welcome here. Thanks. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Alec. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. Looking so, forward to it. Yeah. One of the first questions that we always like to ask uh-huh. everybody is, how was yoga first revealed to you? Oh, interesting. Um, trying to remember how it was first revealed, but I can tell you I remember my first classes. Mm. So... Um, Yes, uh, I was in Boulder and I took some classes. Um, I'm just forgetting his name uh, now, of course, on camera. Um, Richard Freeman. So with yes, Richard Freeman, yes. yes. So Richard Freeman had a lovely little studio down in Boulder, and I had driven by it a few times, and I thought that seems like a really wonderful place to mm. learn about my body and to learn um, how to get into my body, both physically and. Um, settled and grounded in my body. So those were my very first yoga classes. I remember my first couple of poses and uh, in the class they would say, you know, everyone do a forward fold and my head would be up and I was looking around the room trying <laughs> to figure out what exactly are they asking me to do? And he would say, I don't know if you've ever taken a class with him, but a lot. You know, he'd say things like, have your tail, you're like a peacock, have your tail feathers explore behind you. And I thought, what, what does what? that mean? I can have that visual and so it was really a fun experience of learning about my body, learning about movement, and um, watching kind of everyone. You know, usually if you go to gym or you go to a workout, um, everyone's doing their own thing. Mm. You know, and until more recently, like classes are more popular in the last you know ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was really kind of rare, at least for me and mm. my experiences, mm. to explore everyone moving in the same way at the same time in the same community. Right. It was really kind of a beautiful experience for me. The Ashtanga Mysore journey. I think that's an awesome way to be exposed, <laughs> especially with Richard Freeman and Mary Taylor oh, yeah. and Ty. Yeah. They, they've been on the podcast. Oh, they and have, right. I, I put a lot of time in that room. That's, yeah. So that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And tell us, who are you and what is your authority as a person who knows the body? Yeah. Like, give us that journey. Yep. So uh, many, many years ago, uh, I started off in the corporate world and I wanted to get into a line of work that really helped people. Mm. And so I found this path, um, I thought maybe physical therapy, and I was taking classes and just trying to understand how I could access health and healing and find ways to help people. Um, So I studied massage therapy and I studied orthopedic and injury type of massage therapy um, back in 99, so many, many years ago. And started, worked with a lot of physical therapists, chiropractors, trying to understand what do they do? What can I do that supports them? And then what do I do that's differently? So you can look at this synergistic approach of, we both maybe have a different way uh, of viewing how to heal a person. And there's things I can do to truly support you. Like you can access something deeper and more, uh, more like with more depth and more greatness if I help support you, my, mm-hmm. my style of work, not just me. Mm-hmm. And then there are things that I'm going to be able to do that you don't do and maybe you can support me in. And so I was always trying to find that path to help people out. So I studied massage therapy. I started, opened a clinic and I worked at the Colorado Rapids for 12 years. So I had this wonderful opportunity to see players play get injured, unfortunately, and then what I can, what can I do to bring them back to health? And then once I got them back to health, I started thinking, well, it seems like the things I do to get them back to health are the same things I could do to keep them to avoid injuries. 
So then we, so we started an injury prevention program, basically. And then if someone was injured, we knew what to do to unwind that. So we had a whole team, um, a medical staff that worked together. Wow. So I did that many, many years ago and, and kind of worked my way through that process and was invited to teach um, some anatomy for uh, core power yoga. I think <laughs> it was in like... Oh, five or yeah. six. It was many, many years the ago. The wave was starting. It was just starting, and they had a program outlined, and I, I was given the opportunity to re totally revamp it, which was great. <laughs> and then I traveled all around the country with Core Power Yoga um, and, and a number of other studios as well locally, um, just teaching their anatomy programs. And, That's amazing. You know, you were And I in was that. a part of that, so. yeah. And, you know, you know it's, uh, for me, 10 years in now, I might not know as much on an anatomy level of ligaments and mm -hmm. maybe bone names, mm -hmm. but what I can say through Iyengar Yoga, mm -hmm. where I put a lot of my focus over the last five years, yeah. is that I, I personally, my strength and my skill set is knowing the rotations and directions that each frame of the specific body part ought to be moving through mm -hmm. for the specific individual. Right. And that's been the uniqueness of learning how to teach people rather than I'm the yoga teacher and I have built this sequence and right. I'm attached to teaching my right. sequence right. despite who's in my class, right. right? I think that that is something that happens with a sense of um, more time and energy investment right. to really learn and know yoga, right. to know your student. Right. Absolutely. Well, and that's a lot of my work. I'm I'm a one-on-one -on -one therapist, right? So when I walked in to teach these anatomy classes, some especially in the early days, I had, you know, we would butt heads a little bit. I would say, <laughs> remember, I'm coming here to keep yoga safe. I'm right. not here to just stamp everything everyone's doing. My job is to teach the teachers how to understand what they're teaching, mm. right? And so when you say like that lens I had, I have a lens into biomechanics and movement and anatomy and what is safe for a joint and what is not. So if two people tell you something like, oh, you should do this, that will help your back. Maybe I'm the person that says, sometimes that's the case. Mm. But in this particular instance with this individual, that doesn't work yeah. or that won't work and here's why. Yeah. And I think when, you, when someone can educate you and give you the why, I, I, under, I hear what you're saying, this is why maybe that won't work for this person, and this should work better, and this is why. You can really make an educated and informed decision on what's going to keep your body safe. Yeah, and so. you know, it's interesting because the masses of yoga teachers, I, I think with respect and love I share, there's a little bit of dilution. There's a little bit of dilution in what's been learned oh, right. and what's being taught. Mm -hmm from someone like yourself, you have an authority, you know mm -hmm. how to keep someone safe. Right. But there's, and when I say that, I mean there's a mass amount of yoga teachers who don't know how to keep their students safe. Right. So what would you say, and the people who are listening who are yoga students, mm -hmm. who are yoga teachers, who are like, well, I resonate with this. I, right. I wanna keep my students safe. I wanna keep myself st right, safe. Right. What, are, what, what comes to mind on how you could offer something to somebody who desires that? What would you share? As share far as the teachers and students both. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm the why guy, right? Ask <laughs> questions, you know, ask. So if a teacher says you should do things a certain way, and then, you know, another one says to do it another way, ask why. Why mm. do you think, and someone else told me this, oh, that's wrong. Well, well why? why? Why is it wrong? What could they, what's right in it and what's not right in it? So for me, I'm always looking at modifications. And, mm -hmm. and like you can call them modifications because you know based on there's a theme of you're supposed to do things a certain way, but you can also look at it as just 
you know, treating your body the way it's supposed to be treated. Mm -hmm. So I have a mild scoliosis. My body rotates a certain way. And so I need to unwind that. So in my poses, sometimes I'm intentionally counterbalancing my spine, which doesn't always look level. So a teacher in theory could correct me, but really, and, and fair enough, they wouldn't maybe know that about me, but that's something I'm trying to do to correct my own body. Mm. So the more you learn about your own body and again, how to break down the poses. So a big thing I always did with my students, and you may remember this, is I walk through, okay, what pose are we working on? And what's the benefit of that pose? Mm -hmm. Okay, what are the challenges in that pose? Mm -hmm. And then what are some other poses you can do that will support you know, the, the benefits, right? So let's say you're doing something like, you know, something as simple as a forward fold. Sure. Well, for someone, a standing forward fold, maybe that hurts their back and maybe it's because their hamstrings are tight. Well, we can achieve a smaller forward fold in like a child's pose. Right. So how can we find, how can we back up and find similar benefits without the challenges? And that's obviously a very basic uh, movement, mm. but there are some poses that people are doing. Um, I remember I took a class, it was at like one of those, one of those festivals up in the mountains, right? And, we're, and I think what happens is sometimes people get excited about, let's teach yogis something new. Mm. You know, they've done these, you know, flashy transitions. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm in a class that I feel like I'm in, I'm in like a gymnastics class. And they're trying to push the limits of everything in my body in an unsafe way, not, right. not pushing and challenging, mm. but taking my body to these places that aren't safe. And mm. I thought, why are we doing it? Like, what is this practice all about? Is it about being showy? It's like these yoga competitions. I mean, maybe fair enough, that's for some people. But it's really more about this introspective um, experience that even though we're all in collaboration and in a class and a community together, we're each exploring our own bodies, right? And so to keep it safe, asking why, understanding what you're doing, and is that serving you and your purpose for practice? Yeah. Or are you just following what other people are telling you to do? Yeah. Can we get specific for a moment? Yeah, sure. So this might also be an opportunity where I get myself yeah, schooled. Fire away. <laughs> so yeah. in vinyasa yoga uh -huh. or hatha yoga, not even not necessarily hatha yoga, but so primary, a flow, like a flow, like a flow-based mm -hmm. class. Uh -huh. um, when you're in uttanasana, uh -huh. standing forward fold, uh -huh. typically teachers will teach, and it's funny because like I don't teach this uh -huh. because I haven't taught this for six years, so I have to try to remember. Uh -huh. But in my in my remembrance, teachers will teach bend your knees and take ragdoll and let the arms fold, uh -huh. and that's what you're taught. Okay, and then. In Iyengar yoga, it's quite the opposite, where it's about straightening your legs mm -hmm. and lifting your kneecaps mm -hmm. to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. So when you engage the kneecap, uh -huh. correct me if I'm wrong, uh -huh. put myself for the test, yes, yeah, yeah. as you engage kneecap, it lifts quadricep, yeah. quadricep, it activates, it turns on the hamstrings, which sends a message to our brain to release the intensity in the hamstrings. Yeah, you, the last part's right, the middle part was it. it you fire the quad. Yes. It's called reciprocal inhibition. Okay. So you, uh, and this is a very simplistic approach, but the quad is the, the opposing muscle to the right. hamstring. So the hamstring muscle turns off. It right. doesn't shut off. Okay. It just turns, the nervous system stops the holding in order for a muscle to contract and move, mm -hmm. another muscle has to release. So for, the, for my arm to move, I can flex my bicep, yes. but in order for my arm to move, the triceps has to release somewhat, right. right? It doesn't just completely go limp. So in a forward fold, when you engage, and we call it maybe drawing the kneecap upward, yep. you're engaging the quadriceps muscle, you're releasing the hamstring muscle, and that forward fold allows a release. Right. The interesting thing is when you're in a forward fold, um, you have an eccentric contraction with the hamstring. So mm. they're releasing, but they're releasing, think of it as like slowly. 
slowly. It's like right. lowering something from the from a ceiling down. Mm-hmm. So you have they're still engaging, but they're slowly letting you release. Right. And so yes, that system works. Okay. And so then but, yeah. But the bent knee piece is really just if you have tight hamstrings, it it shortens the hamstring. It doesn't put it as right. taut. And so it allows people who are less flexible to have maybe more access for the forward fold. Because it's a hamstring little bit of a calf hamstring and then like right. the whole low back all the way through the spine. And so then in Iyengar yoga, what I've heard and seen, people who are not able to straighten their legs because mm-hmm. their their hamstrings are too tight, uh-huh. they are having the opportunity to put their hands on a block tower mm-hmm. sure. to be able to straighten their legs. Where I've heard and learned from different Iyengar teachers, if the knees are bent and you're folding forward fully, slow, long-term train crash to injure the lower back. Um, unless you're, unless the goal is to continually lengthen and strengthen the hamstrings. I so, see. Right. I mean, uh, if we snapshot at that and say that's all you're ever going to do, perhaps yeah. I could see that being accurate. But um, maybe another way to say it is, the question is, is it better to, instead of bending the knees slightly, staying upright with the knees uh, straight and then getting more of a lengthening uh, of that hamstring. Um, I would have to think about that, but yeah. I do, I, I see benefits in both. Right. So um, neither are wrong. I don't think either are wrong, but I, I mean, for the long-term gain in a body, I think modifying either way with the intent and the goal to have full length in the hamstrings and full length to the spine yeah. would be ideal. And remember, full length doesn't mean keep going. There's a right. certain point where we don't, want to keep going absolutely you don't want to snap i mean okay so let's talk about who usually loves yoga like picture the yoga a yoga body they're built a lot like you yes this long lean body (laughs) and usually not always you're very flexible right i'm less flexible right and so i'm i'm somewhat flexible but sometimes people are hyper mobile Mm. and a large population of people that i see in my practice that practice yoga who are injured are hypermobile, so they move too far. And they're in a practice that is always talking about um, lengthening, lengthening, mm, explore, mm. like moving away from midline, as opposed to, I call it coming home. Like sometimes you need to plug back in. We use terms like that oftentimes in yoga. Um, Iyengar might be different than that. Iyengar doesn't always push further, further, further. It's about you know engaging and holding in proper alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes when we're moving quickly through poses, um, that flow can sometimes you're focused more on the flow than on the body position because right. of timing. And so it's just something to be aware of. Right. And I remember when we were chatting at the gym, we were speaking about how, you know, one size of yoga does oh, not yeah. fit all, right. right? And there are these different styles that serve different yeah. body parts and different body types rather. Yeah. And, uh, can you, can you speak about that? Right. So in the medical field, it was always interesting for me. Um, I'd have someone come in and they'd say, oh, you know, my doctor said to stop practicing yoga. And I said, oh, well, what kind of yoga do you practice? And they said, well, they just said to stop. And I said, <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about that. So you're, let's use the example of being hypermobile. So again, for people that don't know what that is, hyper, too much, mobile. So you move too far. Your ligaments are, are not going to necessarily stop the ball. Let's say in a ball and socket joint, they're not going to stop the ball from moving. So you can move beyond what we call normal or healthy limits. Um, and, and naturally, it doesn't feel like it's a problem. Down the road, it, that's that slow death. It can nick away over time, and then all of a sudden you have a problem. So um, in a situation like that, someone who's hypermobile, I would say that typically 
be careful in hot classes, mm -hmm. be careful in flow classes, especially if they're fast, right? Because those styles of yoga are typically, again, I'm, I'm stereotyping here, but typically they're going to push lengthening. And because of the speed and oftentimes the size of the class, there's not going to be as much ability to control where your body ends Individual up. Individual attention. It, absolutely. Yeah. Where in an Inkar practice, for example, more often than not, it's more about engaging and holding, which builds strength. And if the instructor is not pushing too much lengthening, that could, you, you can find that balance point of building strength because that's what you need when you're hypermobile is to build balanced strength and not length because you already have the length, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one example of a style of yoga that might benefit someone um, where they could still practice, but practice maybe differently than they were. So instead of just throwing a blanket out there and saying, yoga's good, yoga's bad, who's the instructor? What is the goal of the practice? What does your body need and what should you avoid? Mm. So looking at that more, again, more medically than just yoga fixes everything. Right. And sometimes it's a wonderful um, gateway into health, mm. oftentimes, but sometimes the practice of yoga becomes a repetitive stress injury situation mm -hmm. and we do too many things incorrectly. Um, and again, I, I know I'm generalizing. There are so many wonderful teachers and instructors out there with so much education. Yeah. But again, I would have a very difficult time teaching 10, 20, 40 it's students. Hard. How do you keep an eye on everyone, right? <laughs> you teach a very simple class. You keep it simple because how do you, you know, you start doing these like, okay, and now we're going to go up into handstand, all 40 of you like, whoa, whoa. look out. Yeah. Um, I, I just... You know, I don't envy that it's a challenge, um, but in order for students to be safe, I think finding ways to um, find a practice that suits them yeah. and understand what they're doing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so profound to me how we change, and as we change, if we're committed to our practice, our practice changes with us. Yeah. Our practice evolves yeah. us, you know. Ten years ago, when I first met you, all I wanted was to teach yoga to Everyone, yeah. everyone yeah. and everywhere. Yeah. I was teaching at all the primary studios yeah. Yeah. at my max. I was at 20 classes a yeah. week a and I was filling them out. Yeah. I had 30, 40 people yeah. in my class. And the funny thing is if I took my yoga class then today in present consciousness, I would throw a block at my face. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you teaching? So fun and so hard, yeah. banging music yeah. Yeah. and just yeah. like, well, push, 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 push. push. Boulder, right? Yeah. Type A classes, it, love them. 10 peak poses, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And now I teach once a week at Movement Climbing Gym, uh -huh. prop heavy. Yeah. And that's Tuesday nights at yeah. 5 p.m. Yes. And last night, you know, sometimes I have. 15 people in class, which is a lot. It, it's a lot to manage. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes there's five people in class. Yeah. And, you know, last night I probably taught maybe nine poses. I was going to say how many poses. Yeah, yeah. maybe. And that, I mean, that's, again, yeah. just different styles. I'm not, I don't want to overly advocate one style <clears throat> over another, but you, there are so many benefits in really sinking in to a pose, understanding it. Mm -hmm. um, and and doing it correctly and, right. and then holding that correct pose and having those muscles feel it have that memory. And you know one of my favorite things like one of the poses that i taught was trikonasana mm -hmm. but we did it twice okay and uh, the first side i gave them a lot of instruction 
and we used the block. Some people had to make a block tower. Yeah. And then we did it again. And as I did it again, I saw some eyes go like, oh, God. Because yeah. I was like, well, I'm like, yeah, I know. It's going to be it, so it, 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 This is the point. Yeah. And on the second round, I off, I didn't give as much guidance. And, it's, and I think that's the aim where I find that a yoga class, and I wonder what your perspective of this is, for the individual, the student, there's a yoga sutra where Patanjali says there's three types, excuse me, there's nine types mm -hmm. of students. And there's three categories. There's the mildly interested student, right. the intermediately interested student, and then the the, the advanced, yeah, the, the yeah. highly excited interested right. student. And then within each of those subcategories, there's three subcategories, mildly mild, moderately mild, yeah. intensely mild, and then so on and so right, on. Right. And my aim in a yoga class at this point in time in my life is to offer a tool to the students that say, hey, maybe there's something here for you to take home. Mm -hmm. It's not so much for you to just like bliss out for an hour. Right. Yes, it is. And also right. self-educate and, and, and have this be right. a opportunity to study yoga and take it home. Yeah. And I find that that is something that I don't really see in many other yoga classes. When people come to my class, they're usually like, that was really different. And I'm yeah. like, I know. Well, and also think about what's the off the mat experience, right? right. So um, the on the mat experience is, wow, that was a hard class. And I felt this, I felt mm -hmm. that. That's something I think for, for teachers to really think about is what is the off the mat experience? What are you trying to teach your students? So you, so you and I are sitting here on bolsters and we're doing our best to engage our muscles to sit upright, right? So that is, there's an off the mat experience mm. that when we're sitting at home or sitting at work with good posture, what does that mm. look like? And the hope is you teach your husband talking about that, engaging yeah. those rhomboids, squeezing those shoulder blades back and down in neutral, not as far back as we can go. Sitting upright, but not having a straight, straight spine, allowing some curve, having a softness while there's also an engagement, mm. right? So meaning we can move, but we're also holding. So what is our off-the-mat experience? What are, like, what are we working? If we're working hips, maybe it's ski season, right? You can always, for me, and this is maybe not for every yogi, but for me, yoga is one of the many experiences I allow my body to engage in, right? Mm. So I ski and I bike and I work out in the gym and I do core work. I also love to practice yoga. So for me, there's that piece. But for some people, yoga is everything. And sometimes that works, but sometimes maybe they're missing like a cardio experience, right? So for example, Iyengar is less cardio, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, not that you're not breathing hard when you're holding. But <laughs> you're not going to do Chaturanga yeah. stuff like that. Right. So, so I mean, so we should maybe for a full spectrum of health, we should look at what yoga provides mm. so many things and also maybe what it doesn't as well. Mm. And so looking at that, I, what I, another thing I like to talk about with students is, um, you know, name, um, name some poses that stretch and open your quadriceps muscles. Well, we've got our warrior one position, which is the first backbend taught mm -hmm. in the series of yoga. Right. And then in the vinyasa realm, we've got our crescent lunge, our mm -hmm. lunge series. Um, but the lunge, so, so the back leg. The back leg, but, right. So when your leg is straight, you're not really stretching out the lower portion of the quadriceps. Mm. You're getting more of that upper upper portion, the rectus femoris, and, mm. the, and the lower hip flexor muscles. There are a number of other muscles of the hip Strasana, flexor. So, camel? I mean, there aren't many, right. Camel, yes, That's one. especially in the lean back. Right. Um, maybe. So back bends. Well, with the knee coming, the heel coming toward the rear, so mm. like a, a king pigeon, you know, if you reach back I and see. pull something. Right. So there just aren't many. And so it's, right. my point is, Maybe you're the person who has really tight quads mm. and a yoga practice may not serve that 
that stretching and that release as much as just doing something else, like getting on a foam roller or something. Right. And so I just like to point that out, not to not to poke holes in the yoga practice, but to look at the yoga practice as like this amazing experience. And there are so many others as well. Right. There's so many other things that we can do or breaking the mold of what yoga, how you define yoga and saying, well, yeah, I, I go to a class, but I also go home and I do these other things for my body. And for me, that is yoga. Like mm. maybe for each of us, we define it differently. Yeah. Like you said, instead of having just a, um, a set of like, this is, this is our guru and this is how mm. every position should look. Right breaking that mold and saying what serves our bodies the best you know it's um i haven't spoken too much about this lately but five six years ago when i was in the yoga workshop and mm -hmm. i was practicing ashtanga yoga there was a moment where i tore my shoulder labrum because i was doing chaturangas improperly mm -hmm. for m not just one time yeah. for multiple years yeah, hundreds multiple hundreds, hours yeah. oh, yeah. six days a week yeah. maybe seven yeah and it was a long-term, slow train crash, but once the train crash hit, it went full speed. And I couldn't do downward facing dog. I couldn't handstand. I, and I was in love with handstanding. Yeah. Once I yeah, unlocked that muscular yeah. code, yeah. I was like, oh God, it's the most enlivening thing to do a press up handstand. And all it takes is one, in, I mean, it could be a pinky and you're like, I can't do my handstand. I tore my, me. you maybe have to remind me the exact name, but FTCC band. It's a Flexor. tiny little lig ligament okay. right in here. Uh -huh. And I tore that, I tore my shoulder labrum and I was out of commission and I fell out of love with yoga. It took me a while to fall back in love yeah, with yoga asana. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think my yoga teacher, Eddie Modestini and Kristen Bostiles, and they teach a form called yoga on the inside. Iyengar impacted and influenced highly and being able to really pull myself back from I want to go, go, go and do yeah. crown shots and I want to put my right. foot behind my head. I want to do all these crazy things. And now I'm like, oh my God, Parjavokanasana, pyramid pose, yeah. extended side angle. These are my favorite poses. Yeah. So, okay, Foundational. So, well, exactly. So look at it from my world, right? So I'm doing my, my, my team and I, we're all doing, think of it as rehab. So anything that we can provide for you that will serve your body to make a positive change, right? Whether that's stretching or rolling or doing some kind of strengthening work. So when I look at yoga or yoga poses, if you go back to basics, basic movements and build that foundation from the basic movements and then extend from there, that is the safest way to do a practice. The reality is many of us, myself included, I show up, um, I'm physically able and fairly strong, so I can muscle my way through poses. And then I do them incorrectly, mm. and I pattern that incorrect movement. Mm. And then when I do the next level harder class or, or movement, I think I can do it safely. And mm. the reality is I'm not moving correctly at all. So mm. I'm training improper balance, so imbalance in my mm. body. It's like when you tore your shoulder, you were doing something incorrectly and you weren't giving enough, given enough warning signs. You just didn't know. I might've been given warning okay, signs you might have been and given my some. ego was too strong yeah. because I was in second and third series. Yeah, like, I got, I, got I got it, I got it, I got it. I'm yeah. fine, I'm 25, mm -hmm. I'm invincible. Right. Then, I then, was definitely then, warped. And then you're not. <laughs> and then I'm not. You're like, oh. I'm like, oh my God, it was the most maybe, humbling experience. Maybe if I do it again, it'll be better. <laughs> like, yeah. 
So, so right. So first thing I would do with someone like you in that shoulder, with your shoulder, I'd say, you know, maybe right now doing chaturanga is not the best option yes. for you. Can we can we find a practice for you that is less shoulder intensive, weight bearing shoulder intensive? Mm -hmm. And if you're able to just even lift arms overhead, if you can do that, let's start with that. If you can't, we'll break it down. So you break it down and then you build it back up slowly, right? right? Up into like not that a down dog is like this very high level pose, but for someone with an injured shoulder, it is. It is. And so working that and then working that mobility and flexibility and strength and then moving next phase into, you know, there are a couple in between there, but into your handstand, right? Yep. Because once you have that mobility and that range of motion and you've done it long enough and you now have the strength, then you can start to bring different. I mean, as soon as you go from like a limb to the torso mm. to the legs, mm. think about how many moving just joints. Mechanics. There are so many joints there that can be off. Mm. And so you break thing, you break poses down into simplicity, mm. one or two joint movements, and then adding slowly. And you don't add rotation with a fold, with a, you know, all these things at once, without uh, first making sure you're trained for that. That's the way. I mean, that's the way I look at everything. I right. look at all my athletes, and I look at yoga as an athletic practice. It's a movement-based practice. Mm. So you need to be strong. It will give you strength, but mm -hmm. just like any activity, runners. Oh, you're a runner. You must have great knees. Like, no, I don't have great knees because I run, right? So there's this, because we're active, we sometimes wear down or break down our bodies. And other times it, it's a wonderful way to build them up. Right. So for me, the yoga practice is all about, it's not a competition. There's really no time constraint. I mean, meaning you could move a little slower and it's okay. Um, and you can choose not to do a pose. So it should be a very, very safe practice. Hmm. And, and it oftentimes is, but it's not uncommon for me, to, one of the first things I do when I teach these yoga trainings is I, people start coming up to me and asking me all these questions about, well, ever since I started this training, I'm doing so much more yoga and my body is not just sore, but beat up or affected negatively. And so they're like, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do it because they've just ramped up too quickly. So finding a safe practice and finding ways to build it slowly. I love it. Yeah. I love it. What would be some golden tips that you could offer to yoga teachers that seek to keep their students safe mm -hmm. well, first of all learn learn anatomy learn learn the joints so when i i don't know if, how much you recall of this but when my, i teach the class i very intentionally taught the bones first looking at joints looking at how they're put together if you see a ball and socket joint you know it's very mobile mm -hmm. if you see a hinge joint it's mobile in you know one, one plane right. but not in others so understanding how the body's put together and then what we ask of the body so think about what pose are you asking your students to do? Like, think about a sequence. What pose are you asking, even if it's nine? Okay, what is the goal with each of those? What are you trying to uh, strengthen or open or release in the body? And then what are the challenges in each of those? So you have modifications ready to go. I think that that's probably the best advice I have is to really understand the sequencing that you have and where the pitfalls might be and how you can immediately modify. Um, and I know a lot of times you, as instructors, we can give, you know, for those of you that are more advanced, do this. And if you're not as advanced, do this. But I would say more often than not, many of the students want to be in the advanced, especially yeah. in this area. Yeah. We want to think that we're stronger than we are. Right. Um, and I've, I've done that. Well. So I think that's a nice follow-up to this question. I, I mostly ask this question for my younger self mm -hmm. who wanted to get to my next level. And I was, and I know for me, I had impatience to get there. 
What would be your insight for those who want to get to their next level and may be ready or may not be ready? Who knows? Right. But regardless, in light of, in, in, in slew of the yoga practice and, you know, moving through the layers of our body, meaning maybe um, Urvadhanurasana is uh, full wheel. It's just so intense. Yeah. But we go through it. We move through that practice. Mm -hmm. And after a couple of weeks, maybe months, it becomes less intense. Yeah. You're able to be in the pose for five to you've ten breaths. You've right? practiced. Right. You've embodied this pose. What would you say for someone who wants to keep themselves safe mm -hmm. and wants to get to the next level? Yeah. What are the points of mindfulness that we ought to hold for our own internal yeah. journey? I think part of it is first and foremost, let go of ego. Mm. I mean, there's so much about can you do wheel? Because I can do full wheel. Like <laughs> I did full, like you, we're proud of ourselves and I'm, that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but if we set the expectation, like for example, I'll say this sometimes to my, when people are coming into my practice, I'll say, um, the goal is to eventually get to, let's say holding a plank mm -hmm. to 90 seconds or, you know, two Hard. minutes, right? But for you, I want you to hold it for 10 or 15. <laughs> and they kind of look at me, I say, just for now, just for now, the goal not today yeah. is the goal today is ten or fifteen seconds. Yes. I want you to do it properly, and I want you to do that for a week. And I'll see you next week, and we'll probably I'll see how you're doing. If you're doing well, we'll have you go to like twenty or thirty. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a month, they'll have built up. So the same thing with a practice. If you're practicing, let's use the wheel example. Mm -hmm. What are some poses that you can do to help with wheel? So how how flexible, for example, are you through your shoulders? Mm -hmm. So maybe doing some, even not down dog, I mean, a down dog in a child's pose. Yes. You know, working the shoulder range of motion, and you know this from handstands as well, really making sure you have that full range of motion. Okay, then you can start to work the strength. Hold your poses longer. So you break down, are you less flexible or are you, you know, a little weaker? And sometimes there's obviously a combination of the two. So working poses to make yourself, if you need the flexibility, more flexible. If you're hypermobile, mm. you probably don't need that at all. Mm -hmm. So it's all about strength. Mm. So working one joint at a time, strengthening shoulders, or strengthening, you know, a backbend. So any backbend you can have and hold, maybe a standing mm -hmm. backbend where you're not going, not, when I say backbend, what did you, how far back did you picture I was having someone go? A standing, um, probably just like a hands on hips standing, Perfect. little Perfect. gentle arch of okay. the chest and so shoulder squeeze. The number of times I'll bring a student up in a class and say, "Can you demonstrate, you know, a back bend, a standing back?" And they, they hear, <laughs> "You want my hands on the floor behind me?" And I was like, "I, I didn't say that." Ten years ago, I would have yeah, done right. that. Yeah. I, I thought about making this shirt that said, "Not as," it just said, "Not as far as you can." And so I'd say, "Hey, Alec." Show me a backbend, but don't go as far as you can. Yeah. Because we all hear that. And so to keep ourselves safer, like let's continue to play on this wheel yeah. pose. Um, you don't just go and try wheel. Like, right. I mean, sure, you for fun, whatever we're going to call it. If you do one and you do it, you know, with some mindfulness, it's okay. But working really systematically to see where are you limited? How, how can you access more range of motion or more strength through other poses to build up to these larger poses? <clears throat> and then don't hold it every time as long as you can. Right. In the beginning, right. once you're trained for it, you can go much longer. It's just like plank. You don't jump into a plank and say, hold it for two minutes. Oh God. Who can do it, yeah. right? And so if you can muscle your way through it and cheat your way through it, you're not really accessing the pose in the way it's supposed to be. So 
my suggestion is to find other poses to allow you to build and find your limitations and work those limitations. Just like anything, if you know that you're limited with the shoulder movement, Mm. work that particular range mm-hmm. and then bring it back in. So what I would do in my practice is I might say, Alec, how are you, like, why aren't you capable of getting into that pose? Where do you feel it? What are your limitations? Mm-hmm. Oh, my, my lower back doesn't, it, it just pinches a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do some work in the lower back. Let me look at a couple poses and maybe show you some other things you can do before going back into wheel. Mm-hmm. So we break it down and then we build it back up. It all becomes, you know, it's, for me, it's all very logical. Right. It's like, yes. Oh, very well make so. it simple. But our egos get in the way. <laughs> yeah, think, but do. I can do. But I did full wheel the other day. Yeah, but you told me your back hurt. Yeah, but I could do it. Yeah, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. There's my other shirt. It's yeah. just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> There's my other because shirt. Because <laughs> people think, well, I, I can. I've done chaturanga for you know years and years, and like just because you can do it doesn't mean your shoulder likes it. Yeah. You're like, oh, but. I don't know why I got injured. All of a sudden, it started hurting. I've been doing it this way for years. Well, that's why it's hurting. Why? It's it's like bringing logic back into it. So if you let go of ego and look at just building things systematically, and sometimes that means breaking them down. Mm-hmm. You so you climb as well. You, Not really, okay. but so, I can. So climbers <laughs> in the gym and movement, for example. Yeah. If they're always trying the same thing over and over and they're failing, one one argument would be, oh, keep working at it. Another would be like try a different route or try yeah. a different movement or try like instead different of different hand placement. Exactly. Yeah. And so just shift it a little bit or go down to something simpler work let's say it's uh, footwork or something um work your feet on these particular uh these segments of these rocks these these routes and then bring it back into something harder so i remember i did that once there was a very uh, it was a very small handhold uh wall and i went and i worked in a safe place because i didn't want to fall off the big wall um in a safe way to work my hands and so the same thing with the yoga practice with basically any movement or any activity Break it down, make it more simple, mm-hmm. and then build it back up. And you know what you were saying, just like in light of when you offer a student, like, show me a back bend, they just go for it. It is so mirrored to our society. Yeah. Our society is harder, faster, better, stronger. Yeah. Go. Yeah. You know? What's, and- what's the speedometer in your car say? Like 160? <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Right? Oh, because I could. If I wanted to, I could go that fast. Mm. And like we think that with our bodies too. Like I, it I really could, is up yeah. to like 160. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Like, 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 never come that? that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, but our bodies. Uh, my, this I got a two. I got a 220. What do you got on yours? Because I could do. You know, I'll show you a 220. I might tear a hamstring, but I can. I can do that. Wow. We all think. And that's what I mean about letting go of ego. And yeah. I'm not on some pedestal saying I'm like egoless. I'm, yeah, I'm not, totally, <laughs> totally, totally have run into my own challenges, yes. and I'm constantly relearning this. But as a teacher, yeah. I try to let go of that and take my lessons and, and mm. pass them on. Um, wow. But the biggest thing for me is having like having students really understanding the practice. You know, for me, an Ashtanga practice was about it was more the meditative experience that I personally didn't get as much from an Iyengar practice. Mm. But for me as a medical practitioner, the Iyengar style seemed better suited for a lot of my uh, a lot of my patients and clients yeah. because it was a safer, slower you movement. So you can look at the the benefits of each, and I know these are we're just talking about two different ones, but there are a lot of different styles of yoga and a lot of different teachers who kind of break the mold of what style mm-hmm. they have. And and finding what suits you and suits your body, I think, is so valuable. Um, that becomes truly introspective. Yeah. Instead of just I showed up. I checked it off the box, I got it in, and now I'm gonna go back to my life, my mm-hmm. busy, crazy life. It's about really trying to embody those experiences of whatever you're doing, whether mm-hmm. it's a yoga practice or whatever you're doing, to fulfill 
um, you know, this, this inner power that we all have and that we want to cultivate so we can see how far we can go. I feel that it's, it's, uh, it becomes a tool for self-reliant healing. Yeah. Something that we discover within what's working and we get to call upon that where, you know, for me as a snowboarder, yeah. when I snowboard, it just royally screws my SI up. I mean, it just, Side, to- yeah. oh God, it's awful. Uh-huh. And the next day sucks. Uh-huh. However, I know four specific poses in a specific set sequence uh-huh. that really helps my lower back uh-huh. not have pain the next day after I ride. Right. And that is exactly the key right. of it being a tool for self-reliant healing. Right. So um, I love it. I think this is an awesome, insightful yeah. conversation that I find that students and teachers both are able to find connection to. Mm-hmm. And I wonder for you, where where do you see the realm and the world of yoga going right now? Ooh, interesting question. Because uh, I'll share, I'll share real quick yeah, because it's funny because a couple years ago, I must it must have been at least seven, maybe six years ago. Um, I interviewed Mary Taylor and mm-hmm. Richard Freeman. And just as I ask you that question now, it reminds me, I ought to go back to that yeah. interview and hear what they said. Because five years ago then is different than now. And where will we be five years from now? I wonder, what, what, is, what does your mind see? Well, it's interesting, right? Because back, especially, you know, 20 years ago, mm. um, think about how few yoga studios were around. I was looking at opening a fairly large studio in Boulder that was very visible because I huh. really believed in you know, having a combined practice and there weren't many yoga studios in town. Now think about how many there are, right? And, and every so, street, so, yeah, every, almost. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Yeah. And so on the one hand, yoga is much more accessible to the masses. It's, not, it's no longer this, what do you do? What is it called? I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find too many people that just don't know what yoga is. Mm -hmm. They may not fully understand it, but they at least understand what it is. Um, So where is it going? It's just exploded, right? Um, My hope is where it's going is that there becomes more depth in the education. Mm. But I think the reality of how our society is is where it's going is you know, we, people open practices to make money. I mean, fair enough. They need to stay viable. Gotta put food on the table. And if they, and if they can't pay their rent, they're going to close. So the model has become, you know, you look at some of these bigger chains, a lot of them have been bought by investors. And a lot of them are about churning out as many students as they can, having a lot of programs, which again, it has more access, but sometimes it waters down the experience. How many trainings have you done? I don't think the way of yoga is going into 10 trainings. (laughs) I don't think the average teacher is willing to put that much time and energy into into a practice to teach right now one class a week. week, I mean, mean, you're doing so much more with yoga. um, But I want, I just, my point is having those, you know, the people who are really truly loving what they're teaching and just learning more and more and sharing it. I don't think that's the way yoga is going. Mm. I think the way it's going is how inexpensively can we knock out a teacher training program? Mm-hmm. How many students can we get out and then bring back in to teach? And how can we put many, many of these um, studios around in different cities? And again, there are benefits to that as well. I don't want to only talk to the negative because that is what allows, I mean, I found Richard Freeman's class and that was, he was one of the very few and the very probably best in town at that time. Yeah. Now there are so many other options. Um, and so there are benefits in that and there are challenges. And I think 
the way that yoga is moving is the way it's gone is more and more studios, younger teachers with less education. Right. Um, I think it's a really powerful question and a wonderful insight that is really grounded. You know, I mean, even five years ago, I couldn't have ever imagined that the social media wave had taken off so much with yoga on it as it is now. So I, I like that, you know, I think that it is important to be able to see how in hopes that the yoga becomes more in depth yeah. and it can go, I think it should go as wide as possible, reach as many people as possible. And also don't forget to go deep yeah. and to be able to self inquire. Right. Yeah. I just, I would love to think that that's where it's going. <laughs> yeah. Where, you know, very high level. Well, I don't know of, I don't know of a number of high level teachers anymore that are teaching programs. So there, there are, but it, anymore, it's like, oh, if someone wants to take a class, it's so easy. Oh, you can go online and take them now. They're not, you can't always get a license in your state, but you can take an online only class. You can do these in-person classes that are partially in-person and partially not. The teachers change. Some of them are, you know, many levels down from whoever started the program. And some of them are just, you know, I just graduated and now I'm teaching you yeah. because that's what they can afford to do. I love it. So that could be challenging. Yeah. So um, Uh, this has been an amazing conversation. And I wonder for you, you know, last question that we always like to ask is what is a golden nugget that you would like to offer to the listeners, whether they're teachers or students or just human beings on the journey? Okay. So with that question, (laughs) I was going to go a different route, but with that question, um, I think finding ways to assimilate information, whether Mm. it's, you know, being being in the po- I was listening to a political podcast on the way down being open-minded to hearing other people's views and opinions and understanding where they're coming from mm-hmm. whether it's looking at like oh we've been talking about ashtanga versus Iyengar and like what are the what are the benefits of each what are mm-hmm. the challenges of each what are they missing or what are they providing and so I found that with my own practices like finding a lineage and only staying true only to that lineage without recognizing that there are benefits outside of that, Mm. I think, you know, throughout life is just a way to stay open-minded and humble and also allow yourself to be accepting of information so that you can embody it and then put it back into the universe, so to speak. Um, So for me, that has become a big part of how I've learned and how in my practice I get results is looking at each of us as individuals, having a body of knowledge over here, a slightly different body of knowledge over here, and then combining that into a unique experience. Um, So holding that knowledge and being open-minded i think is you know this pearl that if we all did that we'd all be much happier people (laughs) and much more uh, accepting i feel that to be open-minded yeah that's a beautiful golden nugget to walk through as a the journey of the yogi the student the teacher yeah always yeah well, Dave, it's amazing to connect with you in person, yeah, which is man. such a gift. So nice to run into so you. So grateful. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, how can people find you if they want to oh, yeah. learn more from you, yeah, so study from my, you? My company is called Boulder Therapeutics. We've been practicing yoga and, uh, excuse me, we've been practicing, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we do practice yoga, but we've been practicing uh, massage therapy and acupuncture uh, since 99 cool. in town. We've got a clinic in Boulder and one in Superior. 
and um, we focus on injuries and athletes, so bouldertherapeutics.com. And, nice. Um, my phone number is 303-444-1171. Love it. Awesome, man. Thanks. I appreciate the shout-out. Absolutely. Well, so much love to you, Dave, yeah, and thanks. thank you, Yoga Revealers, for tuning in. If you found value from this conversation, please do share it on social media, send it to someone who's maybe had an injury before or practices yoga, and you want to see that they continue to take care of themselves and from our hearts to yours. Namaste. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Yoga Revealers, for tuning in and checking in. This is Alec Vishal Rubin and Andrew Seven Sealy, and we are so grateful for the work that you are doing in the world to progress further forward in our practices and our offerings in life. We have gotten such great feedback on the Seven Day Yoga Reset, and we are so pumped to release to you the 100 Days of Yoga program. This is a practice at your own pace with pranayama breathwork, asana practice that are great for beginners, intermediate, and teachers alike with lectures and visualizations and meditations. So stay tuned and get into the seven day yoga reset. Put a dollar in, put seven in, put $77 in, whatever works for you. And if you found value from this episode with my brother Dave, please check out his Instagram at Boulder Therapeutics. And you know where to find me, Alec Love Life Yoga. Thank you for tuning in with us today. And may your day be filled with peace, practice, and deep, deep breaths. Keep going. You make a difference every day, especially when you practice. My friends, I love you, love life, and I'll see you next time. Namaste. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.